28th episode of The Week with Roger, a conversation between analysts about all things telecom, media, and technology from Recon Analytics. I'm Don Kellogg, and with me as always is Roger Entner. How are you doing, Roger? I'm great. How are you? I'm good. So this week, we're also inviting a colleague at Recon to the podcast, uh, Brett Clark. Brett, how's it going? Things are going well. Uh, great to be here. Happy to join you and Roger today. Absolutely. So it's been a really busy week for all three of us. Uh, we've been crisscrossing the country to attend events, uh, and I thought we'd go around and talk about them. So Roger, you went to a MediaTek event. Brett and Roger both went to an event with Qualcomm, uh, and I went to a, a DISH event. So why don't we start, Roger, with the MediaTek event? So MediaTek is the other mobile chipset vendor besides Qualcomm, where Brett attended the entire event. I attended the, the, the back half of the event that basically power mobile devices. And MediaTek is the, the up-and-coming provider here. And it's so up-and-coming, it has now you know, more than half of market share by dominating the, the, the low end. It's also the chipset that a low end of mobile devices. And it also dominates, for example, televisions. They are the digital signal processors are in most most television sets that are in people's homes. They are powering like all of the the Amazon devices. And so they provided a, a very good update of, of where they are and what is coming. And I don't want to you know, steal too much of the thunder. We we have the MediaTek people join us in a couple of weeks where they talk about the new things that they are doing. But it was a good event. You know, they updated and their, their chipset that they introduced in November last year called the Dimensity 9000 chipset is very strong in performance. And they showed numbers from the Antutu test bed, which is like dominant in China. And the Dimensity phones with the Dimensity chipset were like number four and six in in speed among Android devices. So it's very interesting, you know, how strong these devices have become. You mentioned that they have had lots of success kind of with the, the lower end of the Android market and also in the TV market. My understanding is that some of the Dimensity chips are also an effort to kind of move a little bit up the up the scale in terms of the higher-end devices. Is that correct? Absolutely. They they are dead set in also getting into the, the mid and the, the flagship devices, where on the flagship devices for Android right now, Qualcomm is dominating. And so we've been here, Brad and I are, are here in, in San Diego, where, you know, concurrently Qualcomm had their event. The MediaTek event was a one-day event, Qualcomm was a two-day event. And so we learned a lot about what Qualcomm is doing as it is diversifying also from mobile into many other mobility applications. And, and Brett, maybe you can talk a little bit about what you learned. Yeah, the Qualcomm event was uh, quite interesting across the board. So uh, quite a bit of content from top to bottom. If I could sum it up in four words, uh, the slogan of the event would have been life on the edge. So where the cloud is going and where that computing on the edge is taking place and what capabilities are existing today and where we'll be in two, three, five, seven years. 
So primarily, I, what I found the most interesting was what took place on the automotive fronts. So Ned Couric of Stellantis, he was the CTO there, had a long session at the end of the day one. And speaking about what's going on with the automotive industry and everything that's taking place with connectivity. So automotive transitioning from primarily hardware into a software company utmost. So making sure that software can have those capabilities to evolve as tech evolves. So making sure it's not static. Like today, you drive your car off the lot, and that's the most or that's the priciest it will ever be. But down the line, if it can evolve with the software, it can maintain its value longer. It will have those capabilities as tech advances, as new cutting edge features take place to make sure your automotive uh, stays up to date with what's happening in the marketplace. So basically, a car becomes like a cell phone that can be updated and improved. And, you know, a, a couple of years ago, I bought a car for my son. And what was very interesting as we looked at the different models over the years, I was most impressed how the entertainment system of the cars rapidly evolved over like a four to five year time frame when we looked at the used cars that, that we were looking at. And so you're, you expect this to, to continue? Oh, exactly. And I think it's going to accelerate. So now with screens throughout the board within your vehicle, so some of the new Jeeps have five screens within the car itself. And understanding how those screens can evolve to make sure it's mimicking what's happening in the real world, whether what that's what's happening on your cell phone, it advances your television advances, anything across the board electronically and being able to update that seamlessly just through software updates is where the automotive industry is starting to be and where it's going to head. Yeah. And we were also here at the, the second day where Brett and I both attended the technical track and I was particularly impressed, and and I invited Mike Thielander from uh, Signals Research, who is a friend of Recon, to hopefully come on on our podcast. He presented there about the you know real life applications of five G and millimeter wave mid band, and and what he actually sees in the field. You can see the his podcast or his video of that on the web and i would highly recommend to watch that very interesting research but yeah it was it was a very good event both mediatek and qualcomm put together very good events unfortunately right at the same time so we have to divide and conquer here and and don you went to vegas yeah, I went to Vegas for a day, so a whirlwind trip. Uh, Dish was having their first analyst event, I think in four or five years, actually. So there are a couple hundred analysts there, and the event was really focused on what they're doing with mobile. And so, as listeners of the podcast may know, Dish recently turned on their network in Las Vegas, and they're actually you know racing to cover 20% of U.S. pops by June 15th per FCC guidelines that were outlined when they uh, were able to, to buy Spectrum and, and acquire parts of, of T-Mobile and Sprint during the acquisition. So very focused on mobile. Uh, you know, They've got a, a network that's up and running. They had phones there at the event where you could make phone calls. They had, were demonstrating all of their kind of differences in terms of how their network operates. Phone calls on the AT&T network, right? 
Right. So yes. So, so the, the the data network is what they've stood up, and they roam on the AT and T network based on a roaming agreement they signed late last year. And that's really, I think, one of the interesting things that I took away from the event is that they are making significant progress in terms of building out their own owned and operated network. But the ability to roam on AT and T is really going to, I think, help them in the short term as they build that out. So one of the things that they talked about is, you know, the extent to which they can start to get really aggressive with owner's economics at the point at which they are, are passing most of their traffic on their own operated network. In 20% of the U.S., right, this year. That's right. The commercial launch, you know, they've got one device right now. It costs about $900. And for prepay, and then their plans are about $3 a month. So for, for prepay, that's not... A particularly compelling offer. It's not terrible, but I think the the hurdle there uh, for a lot of customers is going to be getting that nine hundred dollar device. Yeah, with you know half of Americans going bankrupt if there's an unexpected five hundred dollar event, right? Right, right. So I, mean, I think that's a little bit of a hurdle. The other hurdle that I think they need to clear has to do with band seventy. So right now they own uh, they they operate on sixty nine and seventy one. Once they get seventy turned on, then, then they alluded to the fact that they would be able to kind of diversify the handsets they have available. But right now, it's, it's, it's a launch, but it's kind of a soft launch in some respects. Yeah. Has anybody built devices with Band 70? I think that's TBD. Yeah, yeah. right. That's TBD. Right. If right. only the network goes up and, the net, and, and people buy, build devices for only DISH. Because this is the only guy, are the only guys who have band seventy, right? Right. Yeah. Yeah. So they've got a ways to go, and there was, you know, some degree of skepticism. I think you heard in some of the the Q and A questions there. But I mean, like, my basic take is, you know, if if everything happens the way that they say it's going to happen, it's going to be great, right? But I think they've got a ways to go, and you highlighted a couple of the the issues, right? So there's the spectrum issue with band seventy. Uh, they need to have a better kind of commercial offering in terms of cheaper handsets, I think, to compete in prepaid. And, you know, it's, it's still early days, right? So I think to some extent they were declaring victory. I don't certainly don't think they should be declaring defeat, but I think, you know, the, the battle is still still at hand, right? So they've got a ways to go. But it was an interesting event. It was it was well done. I think they're they're still in the trenches, right? It, it's a... What Dish is doing is extremely ambitious. They they are doing the the first standalone five G core in open RAN, in true open RAN, in a distributed platform with with Amazon, which is amazing. But they have so many balls in the air that they have to be first. And they've been struggling. And we, you know, we saw the struggles that their boner, the voice over NR, is not working yet. At least, otherwise they would have launched with it, right? So right. they lived up to the letter of, of the, the commitment that they made, but it's not a standalone network. And without AT&T, they'd be... It'd be grim, right? They would have to deal with T-Mobile. And, you know, in the earnings call, you know, last week on that Friday, they, they talked up the, the arrangement with T-Mobile. But most notably, did you hear anybody say T-Mobile at that event? 
Well, they said it. They said it when they said that the DOJ was still reviewing the agreement that they they have in front of them, right? So they're kind of stuck in neutral for the time being, as far as that's concerned. They have an existing agreement with T-Mobile. You know, you know, we we keep watching them, and I I think they're at the bleeding edge here, and and they're bleeding hard. They 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 put they pulled now more people into the trenches. You know, Qualcomm is helping them. Samsung has come in as a new vendor. So you have another ball in the air, which means are they going to have a, a diversify? You know, it's just like adding another complication or another salvation, depending on how you see it. And, and who's going to leave the, the building then is, is my question. Well, it's, it's technically complex. They're building from the ground up. There's some benefits to that, and there's some, some some things that are really hard as well, right? As you mentioned, they haven't got voiceover in our working yet. You know, on the other hand, they they can do this all. You know, their their whole deployment with one antenna and two radios, right? And so they were talking about a lot of the efficiencies that they can they can gain based on taking up less tower space. They have more colo opportunities as a consequence of that, and you know, the benefit of open RAN in terms of being able to update the network on the fly without having to do a tower climb for new equipment or new radios, things like that, or just updating, you know, functionality, I think it's very promising. And we've, we've seen it. It's working in Japan with Rakuten and they talked about Rakuten quite a bit. Well, it, <laughs> yes, but kinda, right. It, it's, I, I just learned here the, you know, and I want to make advertising again for the signals research people. They came out yesterday with a report that basically said, it what what Rakuten does in Japan is not necessarily open ran because the Nokia radios that are supposedly open ran are not open ran compliant, and then there's some kind of babblefish hardware module in between that that translates open ran into the proprietary Nokia standard, and so uh, I haven't read the report. I only heard about it, but. It's a little bit of if it's true, then Rakuten a little bit hoodwinked us, right? And and I think yeah. Rakuten needs to address that publicly, you know, at one point in time. What I found interesting also when we talked with the the Amazon people is Amazon work is working at least with two or three others doing something very similar than what they do with with Dish, and Amazon is working with literally dozens. Of, of the established telcos, and I think they're working with basically everyone here in the U.S., and why shouldn't they? Well, that's that's exactly the thing, right, is that you know, what Dish is basically saying, oh, well, we can do this faster, we can be first to market, we can beat everybody to the punch in terms of this, this what I think is effect- effectively going to be a, a transition across the entire wireless industry towards more agile infrastructure, the question is how fast can they do it compared to if there are babblefish type you know devices that let legacy systems talk with open open ran devices and, and and protocols and such. Yeah, it's good and bad news, right? It lowers the barrier of entry for all the existing telcos, right, and the the legacy providers. So yeah, you know, I, I, I it's it's all about timing, right? Like the the faster they go, the, the sooner they get into market. That's great, but I don't think similar to the way I think T-Mobile thinks they're further ahead than they really are on on five G and, and C band. I think that Dish thinks they're further ahead than they might be uh, in terms of open RAN and network infrastructure as well. And right, I, I worked 
early on with AT&T on ONAP, which is software-defined networking. 75, 80% of AT&T's network has been virtualized, right? Right. Do the, and the, 20, the last 20%, the, the ASIC-type devices do a better job. So does it matter, right? Or is this enough? Because AT&T, for example, is a, is, it's like changing the engine on an airplane in mid-flight. And so some of the things matter or not matter, right? And well, I mean, the other thing is, is the hyperscalers, the hyperscalers all want to, want to do this with everybody, right? Like Amazon doesn't want to just do this with Dish. Microsoft doesn't just want to do Azure for operators with AT&T, right? Well, they wanted to do it with everybody, exactly. Right, exactly. So that's another, I think, counterfactual in terms of you know, Dish being the one and only as far as this is concerned. Amazon has no incentive to only sell to Dish. Right. Their investment would not come in. But yeah, this is a really interesting topic and we could talk for hours, but we almost ate up 20 minutes now and we'll talk about it next week, right? And we will get more guests. Yeah, absolutely. So um, I'm looking forward to that and going deeper in this with, with a couple of really cool guests that we have lined up. All right, you guys, we'll talk to you next week. Talk to you next week. I guess.